Well, good morning. Um, believe it or not, I've, I've remembered to bring my notes up this week. It's amazing when you, when you don't bring up, y'all are clapping, that means it's going to be longer. Um, just a couple of quick uh, announcements, reminders. Uh, I'm, I'm going to beg and plead for, for just a moment. We're going to have some sign-up sheets that have been out on the Welcome Center or they're going back on the Welcome Center, either one. Uh, first off, the most urgent, which is next week, October the 30th. Um, we're going to be having a fall fun fest. It's going to be in our parking lot right here. Uh, we, are, we are joining forces with the uh, uh, First United Methodist, uh, First Baptist, uh, and uh, Griffin Funeral Home. Uh, and us, we're all going to be together, and we're going to put it on for our neighborhood and our community. So we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, as you can see on the sign-up sheet, there's a lot of people who have already signed up. A lot of our kids have signed up to do the, the face painting and the snack walk and some of those things in the bounce house. Adults, you can help with that if you'd like, but we also have a sign-up sheet for those of you who have a trunk and would like to decorate it in any fashion whatsoever. Uh, I met with the two churches uh, several weeks ago and we talked a little bit about that. The Methodists tend to do a pretty good job of bringing in the trunks for trunk and treat. The Baptist uh, and us, we haven't brought quite as many. And so we're teaming up with the Baptist to beat the Methodists. So, so if y'all want to help us do that, it's very simple. Bring a trunk. Uh, you can uh, decorate it. We even have candy that you can use from our shopping cart you've uh, generously offered, and we're going to be passing those out to those kids. So please be a part of that. And then one more thing, we'll give you lots more information later on, but Lubbock Christian University has a choir. They're going to be coming in December the 10th. They're going to be having uh, an a cappella chorus choir come here on Saturday the 10th. Uh, and then we are going to be housing them that night. And then on the 11th, they're going to be here in the morning to worship with us. We're going to have 40 students. They'll be uh, joining us and singing. It's going to be really special. But we need some help housing them. So you can either invite some college students into your home, or if you would rather not, if you'd like to sponsor one of them, uh, you can help uh, offset the cost by uh, purchasing a hotel room that they'll stay in if you don't want to house them. And so both of those are going to be out on the Welcome, all three of those are going to be on the, out on the Welcome Center. So we want to encourage you um, to help participate in that. Uh, it's going to be a really exciting time. So uh, three weeks ago, uh, we began looking at the prepositions of God. And anybody, can anybody remember the two prepositions we talked about the very first week? I'm trying to give you a hint. Above and over, that God is above and He is over us. Uh, our, our next week we looked at that, that God is, He is ahead, He is before, and He is beyond us. He goes ahead of us. Uh, he's the one that is, is already there in tomorrow. And then last week, we kind of took a pause uh, at least in the prepositions, not so much in the series, but I really needed to do that so that we could prepare for what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. Does anybody by chance remember what we talked about last week? Someone, please. That, that we are a group of people that throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament we don't see this idea that we are individuals, but we always 
end up working in a larger community. Even when you take Jonah, who seemingly only cared about himself, the real story of Jonah was, Jonah, it's not really just about you. That there are other people, even people that you may not like, that God deeply loves and cares for. And so that is a reminder for us this morning as we talk about another preposition of God. And that is, God is... Well, I, I don't want to get there just yet. I want to hang on for just a second. Before we go there, I want to talk about the church and what it looked like in the first century. Can anybody describe some of the the issues that the, the first century church had based on some of the letters that were written to them? You had to be Jewish to be a Christian. That was what some of them believed. You're not really allowed in here. In Old Testament times, the Gentiles were kept on the outside and the outer courts, they weren't really al allowed in. The Jews were the ones that were allowed in. And so that kind of got passed on in the early church of Gentiles are really second class citizens, which just, by the way, just a friendly reminder, you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so when you read the Old Testament and you think about God's favored people, that's not you. And so when Jesus came and said, this is for the Gentiles, that meant that you now get to be a part of it. Sometimes we read it and we think, oh, that's us. We're God's people. We weren't the ones that crossed over on dry land at the Red Sea. But Jesus says, I've made something completely new. I've destroyed the barriers of hostility. So what's, what else? What are some other issues that the early church had? They met in homes, which wasn't a bad thing, but it's far different than what we do now. We'd have to have a pretty big house to, to fit over 100 people in it in the morning, right? Can you imagine getting ready for church and, and saying, okay, we're about to have 150 people show up? You know, open up the door, set up all the chairs. It would have been a little different. What are some of the what are some of the problems that they had? This is this is documented throughout the New Testament. I'm not here to kick the shins of the early church or the present church. I just want to point out some of the issues that the church had in the first century. They had issues with lying and cheating. They had problems with division and discord. There was a specific instance where drunkenness during communion was actually a thing. And Paul said, he, he literally said, you got to stop doing this. Stop getting drunk during communion. That's not the time or place. That, that doesn't need to happen. And by the way, when you bring in food, don't be a glutton during communion either. While other people are starving and you're sitting there eating, like that's not what the table is really all about. What else was an issue with that same church in Corinth? There was sexual immorality and it was openly bragged about. And it wasn't... It wasn't good at all. It was really dysfunctional. There were all sorts of doctrinal issues regarding worship. I mean, we have some, 
some discussions, don't we? I mean, what about instruments and worship? What's the women's role? Where does all that fit in? You transport yourself back to the first century, and they got all sorts of craziness going on. It's really like Genesis 3 all over again. God prepared them a place to gather. He gave them a clean start. And before you know it, we started messing it up. But notice what God doesn't do when the first century church starts messing up. He doesn't kick out all the sinners. He doesn't close the doors and put angels in front of the gates. Instead, he uses broken Peter, people like Paul and Peter and James. And they write things as they plead to Iodia and Syntyche. He tells these two ladies in Philippi, he says, I want you to be of the same mind. He says, I want you to be unified. He doesn't kick them out. He calls Philemon to take back Onesimus. Onesimus was the runaway slave. And he now comes back. And God calls him, he says, I want you to love him like a brother instead of treating him like a slave. He tells Christians in Jerusalem to take care of those widows. There was a group of Hellenistic widows, widows uh, who, had, uh, who were Jews but had, had really assimilated into the Greek culture. They were Hellenistic. And the Jews there said, we're not going to take care of those, those women. They're off on their own. And some of the other uh, Hellenistic people said, wait, we have widows that need to be cared for. God didn't say, get rid of the Hellenist. He didn't say, those of you who aren't taking care of them, you need to be gone. Instead, he pleads for them. He warns the Thessalonians to stop being lazy. He says, listen, you got to get to work. They were so excited about the return of Jesus that they said, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to coast because he's going to be back any day now. And finally, Paul says, decades later, he says, listen, you guys got to start working. If you don't work, what? You don't eat. They had lots and lots. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine showing up here today? But the one thing I just want to stress over and over again is the response of God to a broken people who should have been following him. Throughout the New Testament, churches are riddled with sin, favoritism, mistreatment, and division. God doesn't send someone plans for a big boat and then start the downpour. This is not Noah all over again. He doesn't say, I'm going to wipe the churches clean. There's no fire and sulfur from heaven. So let me ask you this. Why not? In just a few decades, the church had badly missed the mark on what God had called them to be. They had bore the name of Jesus 
but most of them were not living like Christ. Why doesn't fire come down from heaven? Why doesn't rain flood the earth like Jesus, like God had done in the past? Why not? That's a question. I'm going to wait for the answer. Grace? Well, he promised he wouldn't flood the, uh, the, the world again. Sanctification? What do you mean by sanctification? What does that mean? So it's an ongoing process. He's not giving up on his church. He is refining his church. He's going to continue to work on them. I've shared before one of my favorite shows I've been watching on TV is called Forged in Fire. It's these guys who get together. It's kind of a competition. There's there's four of them each time, and they start off with some piece of metal, and they heat it up uh, in the forge, and they bring it out, and they just start hammering and hammering and hammering. Sparks going everywhere. That it has to be cut, molded, shaped. It has to get hot and then cold and then hot and cold, and then they have to they have to temper it. They have to quench it. And all of this takes place in order to have a, a blade that's worthy of the testing it's going to come through. We are that piece of metal. And there are times you're going to look at a piece of metal that somebody's working on and they're going to say, there is no way that is ever going to be a tool that can be used. It's never going to be a knife. Right? And that's us. And God never says, I'm throwing it away, I'm giving up. Instead, He continues to forge on. God wants the church to love Him and to love people and to serve others. Those are all biblical concepts. And here's another thing we need to be reminded of. The church, we are the bride of Christ. Yes, Sometimes we have bad hair days. Sometimes we wake up with really awful morning breath. And sometimes we forget to take out the trash or pick up our socks. Sometimes we don't listen like we should. Sometimes we spend too much time watching TV, too much money at the mall, and sometimes we listen to the TV way too loud. Those are just examples of what a bride or groom might do. And those are some things that as a church we've probably been accused of in some form or fashion. But what does God not do? He doesn't serve the divorce papers. And why is this? Because we are His plan A. And there is no plan B. Instead, he calls us to come together, to get together, and to worship together. And what is his promise? I will be right there with you. You see, what I want to talk about for just a few minutes this morning is the preposition among. God is among us. What does that mean, among? Okay, he's, he's right around us. What does it mean? When, when you say he's among us, he's in our circle, he's, he's one of us, he, he's with us, he's, he's in our midst. Has anybody ever said that he is among me? Why not? 
He's among us. Listen, we talked about this last week, and I'm, I'm going to bang the pulpit a little bit more again, but we have to be reminded that our Christian relationship is not just this. This is really important. This is of utmost importance, but this is not just what it means to be a Christian. It's my relationship with God. And we have lots and lots of people, maybe some in here, but definitely some out there that says being a believer and follower of God does not mean this. It only means this. How many people have said, I can worship God at home. I don't need church. I don't need people. I can just do it all by myself. Now, I'm not referring to shut-ins who want to be here, and this is the only way that they can get here. I'm talking about people who says, I have the ability to go and worship with other people, but I don't need to do that. Because all I need is me and God. In our very individualistic, navel-gazing society, we have reduced Christianity to be how I feel about somebody somewhere up above. And John has some really harsh words for those people. He says, if you say that you love God and you don't love other people, what? You are a liar and the truth is not in you. We are called to be in relationship. Now, whether you realize it or not, you're familiar with Psalm 22. No, 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 don't get confused here. Not the following psalm. Psalm 23 is about a sheep and a pasture and goodness and mercy. That's one we all know too. But, but Psalm 22, whether you realize it or not, you know it. It's actually a psalm of lament. And you know this because while it, it was written in the Old Testament, it was later quoted by Jesus on the cross and he opens up psalm 22 with my god my god why have you forsaken me but as any good lament goes it never ends there in the pain and the trouble ultimately that heartache and hardship leads to a better understanding of who god is because just two verses later, the psalmist who says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then says this, but you are a holy God, you who inhabit the praises of your people. Remember, he starts off, God, where are you? And then he says, God, you are there in the praises of your people. Even in darkness and in pain and in difficulty. The psalmist says, God, I know where you are. Even when I can't sense you being around, I know that you inhabit the praises of your people. So as we talk here about prepositions of God, remember that we are talking about us as a group. God is among us. Now, I'm not here to say that God is never with you, but I want to talk about this morning that God is among us. And something really, 
really holy and special takes place when we come together. I believe that. Now, I, I don't want to pull Matthew 18, 20 out of context because there are some issues going on and, and really, Jesus is talking about when you have a problem with people, here's how you take care of it. First, you go to them, then you bring other people, and then ultimately, he's going to make this statement, which applies to that specific context. But it also is a great summary when talking about our gathering together. He says, where two or more are gathered, there I am also. Think about that. That's a truth that Jesus spoke that applies to us today. Where two or more are gathered, I am among them. And I think this is really important that you understand that right now, God is here. And that is something really very special. He promises to be here and I want you to know this, and I really do believe this, that something transcendent and something transformational takes place when we come and gather in the name of Jesus and we lift our praises up to Him. Something special, something otherworldly takes place when we gather together in the name of Jesus. Enough to where it's almost hard to just sit there. You just get really excited about how God is working, pouring into our lives and working in and among us right now. It is something very transcendent and it's only something that happens when we gather as a group of people to praise and worship God. Now, I've been to some really cool baseball games. And there's something special about watching that wave go all the way around and come back to you. Oh, that's so cool to watch. But God's presence and transcendence does not happen there at the baseball game. Listen, that's not the only place that I've been to. Have you ever been to a political rally? People holding up those signs, chanting and screaming like maniacs. Hundreds of people, thousands of people together. And you can have a candidate come up there and stand there on this platform and talk about all the stops of reform and all the promises he's going to make. And everybody goes, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. But that doesn't mean God's there. God says, I'm here when people gather together to worship and praise him. He says, I'm here. I am among you. And something special happens. It's not going to happen at an auto show. Or a PTA meeting. Or a Girl Scout convention. God promises to be among us. I don't know about you. But that just makes me really excited. That God is, is here. He is, he is right here right now and he's doing something special if you allow him but you have to remember this isn't a pta meeting it's not a political rally we're not cheering for a baseball team or a candidate we are here to lift up the almighty god and as he comes into our presence we recognize that and we lift him up 
Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we, I want you to listen. We're going to change words. I like to, be, I like to talk about prepositions because I know what they mean. I know what a preposition is. But here's another one I know. A pronoun. Look for the pronouns. In fact, I want you to count as many pronouns as you can in these next few verses. For we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that, that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life, that's Him, not us, so that His life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And you're, oh, you got it there. You know, you're like, all of them are plural, except for the His. And you say, you get down there, no, 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 the last one's you. No, it's not. It's not. It's y'all. Go back and look at the Greek, which I love this. I love it. We're almost done hanging there, but this is a good one. The word for y'all is umen. It, it means you all. Right? Does, does umen sound really familiar? What does that kind of sound like? It kind of sounds like how we end every prayer. Amen. You, you, you got that. You're oh, amen. What does amen mean? What's it mean? Let it be. God's will. We agree. We stand in agreement. When you say amen, that's not singular. That's plural. You just think it's the ending to a prayer. That, for some reason, we got the idea that amen is like, is like the religious version of over and out. Like, I'm, I can hang up now. Goodbye, amen, that means it's over. I can open my eyes and like look back up again, right? Amen is we are in agreement. We want this to happen. When you say amen, this is not about you. This is about us. Lifting up God who is worthy. And so this morning, when you think about what it means to come to church and what you have to do and what you want to wear and where you're going to go afterwards, I want you to be reminded that church is us and that God is here. He is among us. That He desires our relationships to grow and be strengthened. I know there's some people in this room who are struggling. And they chose to show up. 
And maybe they're having a hard time thinking about us. They're just trying to imagine how they're going to make it through another day. And God says, come to me. You who are weary. He calls the church to bear the burdens of people around you that are hurting. So don't let your church end in five minutes. Let your church go out and, and work among these people here so that we can lift up the glorious and almighty God. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. May God be glorified through our praise as we stand and sing this morning. Amen.